Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and I am certain that I do not need to tell you that election week is almost here. Maybe you, like me, have decided to mute every single human on Twitter who is giving you a countdown of how many days there are left. Maybe you're also getting a whole bunch of texts and calls. Maybe you are kind of super over it. Well, while we are on the subject, I do think it's worthwhile to zoom out for a second and recognize the fact that voting in America is actually really weird. Like, not a lot of us do it. And a lot of elections end up coming down to the people living in just a handful of states, which means it might be worthwhile to think about how we actually got here. And, you know, why we have the Electoral College. And what does it matter if people vote anyways? Here to guide us through these questions and more is Erin Geiger-Smith. She's a journalist who recently wrote the book, Thank You for Voting, the Maddening, Enlightening, Inspiring Truth About Voting in America. It's a book that is super nonpartisan, but pretty explicitly pro-voting. Erin, hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for doing this. I am very excited. It seems like you have like become a pretty huge voting nerd, obviously, if you've written this book, huh? I have become a huge voting nerd. That is absolutely the best way to describe me (laughs) right now. I don't know if I'll ever not be, but for right now, it's pretty much (laughs) the top description. So I definitely want to talk to you about some more like now times issues, but I think we should start with some history Because obviously you've done a lot of research. I'm curious what our earliest elections were even like. Like, was it marbles and jars or like horses and stables? Like, how did people even do it back in the day? By the time it got to us, it was a lot of voice vote. And then, yeah, some some rocks and jars type of thing. Paper didn't come till much later. Um, The fun parts are that the early days, even though it was largely white men who owned property, is that they were often held in taverns. So the whiskey (laughs) flowed. It was a good time. As you can imagine, that didn't always end great. Um, (laughs) Certainly some fights and some hardcore voter intimidation. Um, So that's kind of where we started. And then it later developed into paper ballots where um, everyone had to bring their own, which I was something I didn't know at all. BYO ballot? BYO huh. ballot. Interesting. And the, that's sort of where a party ticket comes from because people wised up and thought, well, if I provide people with a ballot that has all the boxes checked for me and my fellow party members, makes things easy. And so that's where we had party tickets. So uh, can you explain the Electoral College to me in like 45 seconds or less? Absolutely no problem. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um, many think that it was created to pacify slaveholding states because of the way populations 
were counted, um, mm -hmm. but that's not completely agreed on. The main reason was because there wasn't good media. We weren't getting 24 seven news and they needed a time for people to mm -hmm. gather together and bring from their states what people felt and sort of represent their states. Um, so it was a way mm -hmm. to have a representative gathering when there was no way to hold a popular vote and deliver all of those votes. So that really was the main reason. And that's obviously something that does not matter today. We are certainly getting all the information we could ever want about the candidates. I think more than we could want is would be f accurate too. Yeah. <laughs> more than we ever want, exactly. Um, but no matter, the truth is, and I sort of say this in the book, is the truth is no matter why it was created or if we should still have it or what good it does now, the fact is right now we have it. And so it is the law of the land until it changes. Yeah. So, you know, you're very clear about like the history of voting in America for a very long time. It was only landowning white males who were able to vote. Um, you know, obviously recently we just celebrated the centennial of, of women's suffrage, which is also extremely complicated in terms of, you know, there were still a lot of ways that certain kinds of people, especially people of color and women of color were kept from being able to vote. Absolutely. There are still huge issues around voter suppression. Um, but I wonder how that shifted laws. Like, did we see serious social change once this group of people was allowed to participate? I mean, yes and no. Even when groups get the right to vote, sometimes the change is slow. Mm -hmm. um, but one historical period that I always look to and wish that we kind of focused on a lot more is the Reconstruction era, when after 1870, when the 15th Amendment really solidified Black men's right to vote, mm -hmm. immediately there was a huge uptick in Black men voting. There were many Black men that were elected to office. We even had a Black senator who was who was appointed. There were Black congressmen. And that stopped when Reconstruction ended about a decade later, um, and Jim Crow laws begin to take over. But that period sort of gives you an idea of how giving people the right to vote can immediately make a really huge difference. And then also what a massive difference it can make when that right to vote is chipped away at for decades and decades as Jim Crow laws did. So yeah, that reminds me of, of something you talked about in your preface, which is that you you say the United States has a voting problem, not enough of us do it. Do you think that is the biggest problem there is when it comes to voting in the United States, just that participation isn't as high as it should be? Well, I think I would describe it as the biggest problem because I just don't think we can argue that we have the best representation of what the country feels when you only have 61% of eligible people voting for president. And like the young people turnout just continues to blow my mind how many votes are left on the table from those in the 18 to 29 year old range. Um, so in the last presidential election, only 46% of 
eligible voters ages 18 to 29 showed up. 46. That's not good. Yeah, it's so low. And every age group votes lower than the age group just older than it. And that continues until, you know, the 65 and above. And so we really are letting the oldest Americans make decisions that will last a very long time and impact the youngest Americans. We're letting the boomers decide for us is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, basically. So what's in your research? What is keeping people from voting? I mean, you know, we've talked about voter suppression. Obviously, that's a huge piece. What what are we working with these days? I really came to believe that it was just the fact that we don't do a better job teaching people to vote. I was just shocked by how much a privilege it is to learn how to vote. So I'm from a tiny town in Texas, um, Mm. fewer than 10,000 people. And my mom would always take me with her when she went to vote. She didn't discuss politics a lot. She really didn't, but she always voted. I would go with her. It took, because it's a tiny town, 10 minutes, listen Mm. to the poll workers gossip. I mean, you know, good, (laughs) clean fun. And then we would leave. But what that did, I realize now, is it taught me to vote. And as soon as I turned 18, I was definitely excited to vote, but I never considered for a second not voting because voting just seemed to be something you did. Um, And a lot of people just simply don't have that opportunity. So it's just this idea to me of moving it away from vote, vote, vote. Why aren't you voting? But here is how you vote. You have to register. You might need an ID. This is how all of these millions of things on the ballot actually affect your life. Um, And there are organizations that are starting to do a really great job of that. So I'm optimistic. So one thing that obviously has been talked about a lot over the last, I I mean, I was going to say a couple months, but really it's been a lot more than that is voter fraud. As someone who has studied how all of these processes work, how worried are you about that? I am not worried about that. Like zero percent? Well, I mean, you can't ever say zero percent because voter fraud, it does happen, but the numbers are so low that they just aren't worth spending a lot of time talking about. Not that we shouldn't spend time pushing back against this idea of widespread voter fraud, because we should. But I sort of feel like on this my Zoom book tour that I've been on, uh-huh. I've been asked more times about voter fraud than I've seen examples of voter fraud. Hmm. It's unfortunate it has to be so much a big part of the conversation in this election cycle, because I think what it does do is cause confusion and make people worry. And with mail-in balloting specifically, I wish that they would focus on the other real worries that come with making sure your ballot gets there on time and making sure you followed the directions specifically to make sure your vote would count. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just wish that we could say, okay, voter fraud is something that happens from time to time, but not in, in any widespread way. And even more important is making sure we help people vote and do it the right way, especially with mail-in voting. After the break, Erin is going to tell us what she does want to talk about heading into the election and what message she has for people who are like voting, schmoding, meh. That's coming up in just a minute.
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you want to talk about it when it comes to this year's election? Like what what makes this year stand out to you? I think this is the first time in a while that people for whom it is usually pretty easy to vote are having to really think about how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. How am I going to cast my ballot this year? And everyone feels a little iffy of, okay, how am I going to make sure it counts, especially if I vote by mail? And so I think the best thing that we can do thinking from an individual voter's perspective, what they need to think about is help people create a voting plan, vote early if they can. And then if they are voting by mail, just stress the importance of beating the deadlines by as many days as you possibly can. Yeah. Turning in your ballot yourself in person if possible and just following the directions specifically because with mail-in ballots, the top two reasons that a, an individual ballot might be thrown out, might not count, is if it gets there late or if there's a signature problem. Either people forget to sign the envelope where they're supposed to mm-hmm, sign it mm-hmm. or their signature doesn't match. And the earlier you do that, if something is wrong with it and you're tracking your ballot or the Board of Elections reaches out to you, you might actually have a chance to correct that problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's really huge. And that's, I mean, if the one thing keeping me up at night the most (laughs) Uh on the tier of things keeping you up at night, uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Is that we'll lose too many mail in ballots because of some minor mistake by people who are doing it for the first time. Anytime Mm -hmm. anyone's doing anything for the first time, there's a higher likelihood of mistakes. And obviously, this is a a big election that we want yeah. everyone's vote to count. Yeah. So I wonder, Erin, as a person who is passionate about voting, what do you say to somebody who who maybe votes, maybe hasn't all the time, maybe is kind of jaded? You know, somebody who looks at our our representatives and who sees that, you know, our governing bodies in the United States do not reflect sure. what America looks like, right? How, what do you say to encourage somebody maybe to, to, to keep participating, even if, if things don't feel as representative as they maybe should be? Right. I, the first thing I say is I get that. I understand how a person can feel that way, but that nothing will ever change. Those in the minority voting group will never be in the majority voting group if they don't all band together and show up. I think it also helps to broaden the outlook a little bit and think certainly not just about the president, but about your governor and your mayor and your city council people. We've learned so much during the coronavirus that those people on in the local government mm-hmm. impact our lives so much. I mean, before we used to just point out, well, it impacts traffic in your city. It impacts education and economy and um, our health. So I think even if you hate politics, 
And the truth is, I don't really love politics. I don't like the <laughs> back and forth of it. I really do not. Um, yeah. But politics is your education and your health and it's climate change and it's gun safety in schools. And I haven't ever met a person who didn't care about those things. And it's just so important to show up and vote what your values are. And there are many other ways to be active after that. But if a person doesn't vote for people who they think can do the best job in steering their city, state and country in the direction they want it to go, then it's just really giving up a huge opportunity. And I don't think people really want to give up that chance when it comes down to it and fully understanding that maybe you have two people who neither are your absolute top choice, but one of them is probably going to be a little closer and the closer you get, the better off it is. And then hopefully more people who look like you and think like you will run for office. Um, politicians serve the people who vote period. And so if you don't vote, they're never going to listen to you. And I just think the more of us who show up, the more representative it can be. And we want it to be right. Don't we want our world to, to represent what's actually there? Yeah. I think you do a really good job of, of balancing reality and optimism. And I appreciate that very much. Thank you. It is the best we can do in these trying times, but you know, it's important to vote. Voting makes you feel good. It's one of the only things that if you do it, and especially if you convince some friends to do as well, it's really a, a no loss situation. Well, Erin Geigersmith, thank you so much for, for doing the deep dive and, and telling us a little bit about your research. It was really interesting. Thanks for having me. It's very fun. And everybody vote. Everybody vote. We cannot say that enough times. That was Erin Geiger-Smith, a journalist and the author of Thank You for Voting, the maddening, enlightening, inspiring truth about voting in America. Enough about elections. It is also Halloween week. Do you want to share your costume with us? You totally could. You could tag us on Twitter or maybe in our awesome new Facebook group. We'll do a thread about it. You can find our Facebook group by going to facebook.com slash HQ. I am actually not much of a costumes person, but I did keep two sets of banana costumes in the trunk of my car for just in case for approximately five years. So, you know, also something else that is very Halloweeny. We recapped the Blair Witch Project with Peter Sagal, and that is coming out first thing tomorrow. So if you want to hear a recap, you totally can. Okay. The show was produced by me and Justin Bull. Our intern is Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brandon Banazak. We will see you on Friday for book club. We're going to talk all about burnout and I hope it's actually kind of fun, even though, you know, burnout. Okay. Bye. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. 
Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.